The cross upon which Jesus died Is a shelter in which we can hide And His grace so free Is sufficient for me And deep is the fountain that's wide as the sea There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come That's still room for Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend and have turned from their old life of sin, Till the Savior awaits to open the gates to welcome the lost before it's too late. There's room at the cross for you. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. There's still room for one Yes, there's room at the cross for you There's still room for one Yes, there's room At the cross for you There's room at the cross Room at the Today's sermon is pre-recorded. An end to self-absorption. Let's pray. Lord, you want to do a new thing among us? Come and speak with us, Spirit of the living God, bringing conviction and repentance, bringing the cross. I pray in your holy name. Amen. We have a problem that is very difficult to even begin to speak about. And that is, since we were small children, we were taught to be self-centered. We were taught to go for what we wanted. We were told to do everything in our power to succeed. Now, at the National Prayer Chapel, you hear what I want to call the true gospel of Jesus Christ. The true gospel of Jesus Christ says that you must come to an end of self-centeredness. You must take up your cross and you must follow Jesus. That there's an eternity to win and a hell to miss. 
And you have to make a decision about which way you'll go. You can live this pleasant American self-centered life. You can pursue a soft, sentimental Jesus. And you will have totally missed the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ marks the church that is his by the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. If the cross is not lifted up, then you have a false gospel. If it encourages you to pursue your own self-absorption, you have a false gospel. If it operates as a business with its marketing and with its handouts at the end of the service to have you evaluate the music and the drama and the preaching to see if it met your need for that day, you have a false gospel being preached. The church of Jesus Christ will be despised the rock of offense will be lifted up. So you know you're in the right place at the right time in the body of Christ when you are reproved for your sin. If there is no reproof for your sin, if you are comforted in your sin so that you leave feeling comfortable about the sin that's hidden in your heart, You have not been in the true church of Jesus Christ. You have been in a false church. And you've been lied to. If you think you can walk and continue to be a drunkard, if you think you can continue to walk and be a drug addict, if you can continue to walk and lust after money, if you can continue to walk and lust after love, then you have missed it. Because the gospel says you are washed by the blood. You are cleansed. You are made whole. You are restored. You don't walk in fellowship with darkness when you're in the light. Now, this is hard for some of you because you've been playing church all your life. Or it comes hard for you because you've not ever really been a part of the church, but you might be interested if it offered you the right benefits. Well, the church is not in the benefit operating business. That's not what we're about. We're here to offer you heaven or hell. We're here to offer you a cross. We're here to offer you reproof for sin that under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, you would see yourself as the Lord Jesus sees you and cause you to flee to him for grace and mercy. Now let's come right to the issue that the Holy Spirit has been dealing with my heart on. We'll begin with a story. The story is found in the book of Mark, the 10th chapter, beginning with verse 17. Jesus is just walking in the normal course of his ministry. And suddenly a man runs up to him and falls on his knees before him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to him by saying, What do you mean good? I mean, Jesus is not going to allow you to come to him with sweet words in your mouth. He's going to stop you right at the get-go and say, what do you mean by those words? Now, what he's literally saying to this man is, why are you calling me good? Are you calling me God? Because that's who I am. So don't use those words unconsciously. Know who you're dealing with. Now, you come into your prayer closet and you slip down on your knees before you go to bed and you say, thank you, Jesus, for all this wonderful stuff you've done. And he's saying back to you, do you know who you're talking to? I'm God. There's a cross for you. Are you willing to take up your cross and follow me? If you're not, why don't you just dispense with these prayers because I'm not going to be listening anymore. Don't play games with me. Get real. 
either act in accord with reality or you are morally insane. Now, this man is not to be thrown off easily. And he answers, what must I do to be saved? Well, Jesus tells him, you must keep the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. You recognize that he's simply quoting the Ten Commandments. And this man responds in verse 20, Teacher, he said, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. Because here was a young man who desired, there was a hunger in his heart, he desired to enter into the cross of Jesus Christ. There was an interest in his heart for something deeper. And Jesus loved him for that. Here was a good Jew. Here was a Jew who'd kept all the rules. Here was a Jew who'd kept all the sacrifices. He'd gone through all the rituals. He kept the law. Jesus loved him for that. Jesus said, verse 21, one thing you lack Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. So he's saying, look, there is one thing that will prevent you from following me. Go get rid of that and then come follow me. That one thing that was going to prevent this man from following Jesus was called his treasure. Now, this man's treasure happened to be cash. What is your treasure? What is your treasure? When Jesus comes to you and you say to him, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay. But first, you have to go get rid of this treasure. I want to suggest to you today that most of us have a treasure more precious than gold or silver. And that treasure that we have is being absorbed in ourselves. Self-interest. And Jesus would say to you today, do you want to follow me? Then go give your treasure away. Go give your self-absorption away. You could run a little diagnostic test on your, on your soul. When you're driving down the road, what are you thinking about? Are you thinking about yourself? Your plans? Your problems? Your issues? Are you thinking about your strategies for success? Are you thinking about your options? Then you're self-absorbed. When you go into the prayer closet and you get on your knees, what's the first thing that flows out of your mouth? Oh, God, help me. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, which art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. We want to go into the prayer closet and say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallow my name. Make me somebody. Make me successful. Cover my needs. You see the problems I have. Deliver me from sin. Deliver me from this problem. Deliver me. Oh, just do everything for me, God. Self-absorbed centered on our own issues as a treasure. And we guard it carefully. Let a wife or a husband try to draw us out of our self-absorption and we become wolf-like. You know, don't even go there. 
Leave that alone. Don't you know I'm tired? Don't you know I need just a little bit of time to relax and have my own space? You know, don't ask me to take care of the children. What have you been doing all day? Self-absorption. In our hearts and minds, replaying over and over and over conversations we've had in the past. None of you would do that, would you? Thinking up new answers that you could give for that person. Saying, if I had just said this and this and this, and so you'll rehearse those self-absorbed answers over and over in your mind until finally they're down perfect, and the next time it happens, it pops out of your mouth, and you say, where'd that come from? Well, it came out of the self-absorption back here where you were training yourself to think and feel that way. Self-absorption. Concerned about me and mine. Concerned about my survival. You see, as we look toward ministry in this city, one of the greatest problems we're faced with is everybody has their own nut to crack. Everybody has their own deal to do. And everybody has to focus on, okay, here's my little problem. Now, if I can get the the wagon circled around this little place, and if I can drive off all the Indians that are coming after me, then maybe I might have a little bit I could throw over for the work of God. Self-absorption. The Lord is saying, If you want to follow me, you're going to have to go give your treasure away. You're going to have to give your self-concern away. Have you ever noticed when you talk with someone, you ask them questions, and they'll be happy to answer your questions, and answer your questions, and answer your questions, long after you've stopped asking because they speak most eloquently about their treasure. And if it's not about how good I am, it's about how bad I am. I mean, one of the things that troubles me most is going to nursing homes. And I regularly visit a nursing home where my mother is in residence There are certain questions I've simply learned not to ask. I don't ask, how are you? Because if I ask, how are you, I'm going to be there for the next 20 minutes listening to how they are. This problem and that problem. And then a description of the last five surgeries. Well, it's not that I mind hearing the description of the last five surgeries. The problem is I've heard that description 20 times. Now, how does a person get that way? They get that way by long years of self-absorption, where everything is looked at in terms of how will this help me? How will this hurt me? What am I going to do to survive? How am I going to make it? And then finally, when they get to the nursing home, it's boiled down to, you know, do they have to give me that tuna fish three times a week? Why do they have to give me cookies that taste so bad? Okay, okay, it's all right. Next week, we'll bring in your favorite cookies. And suddenly, the sun is out. You understand what I'm saying? People don't become that way when they move into the nursing home. They're that way when they move in. We're that way as we walk in our self-absorption. The Lord is saying very plainly that if you are going to follow Jesus, you are going to have to go and give away your treasure. If it's money, 
you're going to have to give away your money. Now, it's interesting to me that Peter lived in a relatively large and prosperous home for his day. A stone house, almost circular, several rooms, a thatched roof. Historians tell us that it was a rather luxurious home for that day. Jesus did not tell Peter, go sell your home before you follow me. Why? Because his home was not his treasure. And so Jesus is not going to tell everybody, sell your house and give all your money away. He's going to tell you that only if that thing is a treasure to you that blocks you from following Jesus. So he calls us to look very carefully by the power of his spirit at all of our treasures and any treasure that we hold on to and clutch to our bosom. He's saying, give that treasure away. So for some of you, it's tobacco. For some of you, it's alcohol. For some of you, it's drugs. For some of you, it's money. For some of you, it's a boyfriend or a girlfriend. For some of you, it's children. For some of you, it's a husband or a wife. And the Lord is saying, will you give that treasure away and come and follow me? This man was called to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But in verse 22, it says, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, that's the cutting place that we've come to. Are you willing to accept the call of Jesus Christ to take up your cross and follow him and give away your treasure? Or is your treasure so precious to you that you're going to hang on to your treasure and walk away from Jesus with a heavy heart and a heavy face? Does it ever seem to you that the world revolves around you? your choices and your desires? Do you ever find yourself trying to force others to conform to your world? Do you ever find yourself becoming impatient with another because they aren't doing it your way? Well, let's look together at the writing of the Apostle Paul regarding this. It's found in 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. I want to take a few moments and speak today about this issue of self-sacrificing love because that's really what it's all about. It begins, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's saying, look, if I don't have this, if I don't have a heart that is willing to give away my treasure and follow Jesus, then all of the outward pretense of being a wonderful, good person is like an empty sounding gong. There's no reality to it. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. So he's saying if, if you want to be a grand preacher, if you want to be a great faith worker, if you want to be a prophet of God, and you're going to go and stand before the crowds, and you're going to do wonderful things, and if you're not filled with love, You've missed it. Self-sacrificing love. It's agape love. Verse 4, he begins to describe for us specifically what this life looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. In other words, if I come 
with self-sacrificing love to my wife. I'm going to be kind to her. I'm not going to speak to her in a way that cuts her heart. Now, if you find words rising to your lips that are sharp, if you find judgments rising to your lips, if you find that short, snippy retort flowing out of your heart, those are all signs of self-absorption. Those are the defenses we use when we have not yet given up our treasure. So you can say, I'm going to follow Jesus, but if your attitude is still one of haughtiness and pride, you're not following the Jesus of Scripture. You're following the sweet, sentimental Jesus of the false gospels. Now, let's be clear about this. When I choose to give away my treasure and I follow Jesus, I take up the cross and I follow him to Golgotha and I die there. The scriptures tell me I am a new creature in Christ. The old has gone and the new has come. So if you are still overflowing with self-concern and self-absorption, the new has not yet come, which says you haven't yet taken the cross. You're still playing games with God. You may not have walked away like the rich young ruler, but you're sure thinking about it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Let's put it another way. Self-sacrifice is patient. Self-sacrifice is kind. Self-sacrifice does not envy. Self-sacrifice does not boast. Self-sacrifice is not proud. And now we come to number chapter uh, 13, verse 5. And this puts the clinch on my heart, and I trust in yours. Self-sacrifice is not rude. Self-sacrifice is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And I need to just stop for a moment. Do you understand what happens when we begin to keep records of wrong? Have you ever gone to a restaurant, sat down, and looked around at the couples who are sitting in the restaurant eating? And you'll see some of those couples just sitting there, eating their food, slapping the kids, and never talking to each other. Well, how is that possible? Because that couple has filled their marriage with so much furniture, it's not safe for them to talk. Do you have a list of things in your mind that you can't talk with your wife or your husband about? If I raise this issue, she's going to get mad. If I raise this issue, she's going to be hurt. If I talk about this, it's going to open this door. If I, if I raise this issue, I'm boxed in. I better just keep my mouth shut. And so you sit in silence. You're self-absorbed. You're more concerned about yourself than you are about Jesus. And the word of the Lord comes and he says, love is patient and kind. Love is not selfish. What would happen if you began honestly speaking the truth to everyone about you? What would happen in a marriage if the truth were honestly spoken, unvarnished, straight up? Do I think Jan is not strong enough as a woman to hear my self-sacrificing kindness? 
Oh, you say, wait a minute. That's not what you're talking about. When you say you've got to be unvarnished and truthful, that means you've got to tell her all that's wrong. What? If I tell her like it is, I'm going to tell her how self-absorbed I am and what a lout I am. Love does not mean I lay on my wife all of my prejudices. Rather, it says I'm going to be absolutely honest with my wife and I'm going to tell her how I desire to sacrifice my life for her. Now, I wonder what would happen if I could be a fly on the wall in your houses. Is there any fussing that's going on between husbands and wives? I trust today there's no fussing going on in the houses of those standing before the Lord. No bickering. No judgmental words. No harshness. The scriptures are clear, gentlemen, that your prayers will be hindered, that is, not answered, if you're treating your wife with contempt. That's also true, wives. Your prayers will not be answered if you're treating your husbands with contempt. This whole issue of self-absorption grows as we begin to understand that it cuts across everything we have been taught from the time we were children. And yet the call of the cross to follow Jesus is to allow my life to be poured out for Jesus. Now, let's take just a minute and talk about some very big concepts. The Father pours out all that he has For us. He pours out his son. For us. He asks us on the other hand. To pour out all that we have. For him. So when you look at the Godhead. You're seeing one God. Expressed in three persons. And each of those persons totally pours himself out. The Holy Spirit, he's been here now for 2,000 years. We know much less about the Holy Spirit than we know about Jesus, who was only here for three and a half years. How can that be possible? Because the Holy Spirit has not come to make something of himself. He has come to pour himself out for Jesus Christ. So Jesus came and poured himself out for us and for the Father. The Holy Spirit comes and pours himself out for Jesus and for us. Because he makes intercession with groans, according to Romans, the eighth chapter, on our behalf. So you have a picture of a Godhead where these three persons, their only focus, their only purpose for being seems to be to pour themselves out. And then he comes to us and he says, now it's your turn. Will you pour yourself out? And we say, oh, but, but Jesus, I have these treasures over here. I have this money I have, this, I have this habit. I have this goal. I have something. Jesus, I can't pour myself out for you because I've got these other things. Jesus, understand, I'm a busy person. Understand, Jesus, that I can't, I can't step deeply into your spirit and take seriously what you're saying about the cross because I've got business to take care of. It's this self-absorption. Charles Finney discovered that revival never came until he preached every night of the week. We blanch it two nights. 
Revival is not going to come that way. Can I tell you why? Because we are so self-absorbed and our culture is so narcissistic that as soon as we leave the house of God, everything begins to reach out and grab a hold of us and try to suck our blood out. And so by Monday night, we just seek some relief, but not in God. And then we're up at it again, pounding away to make the money to pay for the lifestyle on Tuesday. We have no time Tuesday night to come into the presence of God. We've got to rest. We're tired. And so it goes. So by the time next Sunday comes around, what are we going to do? We've already filled ourselves with the world for a week. The spider web is spun all around. And we've got the television and we've got the reading material and we've got the activities and we've got, I mean, everything is connected and everything is conspiring together to keep me out of the presence of God and to cause me not to walk righteously before the Lord, but to walk in my own pleasure. Now, how's this going to be broken? I have to tell you, I only know one way this is going to be broken, and that is just to face square up and say, Lord God of heaven, you have to come and do something. I'm so absorbed by myself, I can't break out of this web. Jesus, would you do it for me? Will you break it? Would you set me free? There has to come a place of such utter discomfort and such utter agony at what's happening in my life that I finally cry out to the Lord and say, oh God, I can't live like this anymore. I'm just living dead. Do you understand what's going on here? It's self-absorption. And the Lord is saying, break out of it. Get free of it. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. I want you to see this. I'm going to read it in its entirety, then I'm going to come back to it. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Perfection comes when Jesus Christ returns. He is the perfection. So until that time, we're going to have varying levels of prophecy and words of knowledge and expression of the Holy Spirit. But now watch, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. In other words, he's saying, look, when I became a man, I decided to take responsibility for my life. And I made a commitment and a covenant with the Lord that I would give my treasure away and I would follow Jesus Christ. And I would no longer play with this self-absorption. Now, this is so very difficult for many of us because, well, a little child comes. And what does the little child want to talk with me about? The little child wants to talk about, can I have? The little child wants to say, you should see what happened with my puppy. And this little child just wants to draw me into the drama of his world and explain to me all about everything in his world. Well, that's wonderful for a little child. But by the time you're 40, shouldn't there be a change? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Yes. And so someone comes up to me, Pastor, I need to talk with you. And suddenly, this great big bucket of self is dumped over my head. And don't be offended, but many of you, I've just said, look, don't talk to me about this. Go talk to Jesus. Now, there are times when we need to talk about ourselves. There are times when we need to be confronted with our sin, and we need to talk about that. 
But to have that as the regular course of action, the regular pattern, so that as soon as you see Pastor Ray, you know he's going to talk about himself. Doesn't that get old? What would happen if each of you carefully devised in the spirit questions that you have for everybody else and self-sacrificingly you pour out in love confrontation with the gospel of Jesus? Are you all awake? Please be seated. If you go to sleep again, I'll ask you to stand again. You see, this issue is so clear in my heart today. That if I'm absorbed with my sin, I will make every excuse for my sin. If I'm absorbed with my sin, I will cover it over. I will hide it. I will not want to talk with anybody about it, lest it be discovered. If I'm absorbed with my sin, don't expose it. But it was very clear when Finney was preaching, he would take a, a meeting called an inquires meeting. And he would go from person to person and he would do a very quick check on their spiritual life. And he would ask them probing questions, very similar to the questions we ask. Is there any known sin in your life? Are you playing games with God? Are you walking clean before the Lord? If you died tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? Are you ready for heaven? Where will you spend eternity if you continue walking the way you're now walking? The Lord God of heaven wants a whole church that totally gives up all absorption of self, lays it all on the line with Jesus, and begins to be used in the hand of Jesus as a tool to confront the darkness about us. You walk into that place of work, and they're telling the jokes for you to stop and say, you know, Bob, I don't appreciate those kind of jokes. They're dirty. They don't leave me feeling clean. What are they going to say to you? Or when someone begins to use the name of Jesus and cursing, to stop them in mid-sentence and say, wait a minute, please, you're speaking about my Lord and my Master. I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't use that kind of language in my presence. Or if the business deal is going down crooked and you see that it's going crooked, for you to step in and say to your boss, that's lying. It's not right. God won't honor us if we walk that way. Suddenly, as you begin to confront what's going on around you and you lose all interest in your self-preservation, you begin now to be what Jesus calls a salty Christian. A salty Christian. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. That is, I said, how can this be advantageous to me? How can this help me? I'm the center here. When I became a man, I put away childish, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. In other words, the Lord God of heaven looks at me and he knows me fully. But when I look at him, I don't know him fully. And he's saying, while you don't know me fully, will you go give your treasure away and come and follow me? Will you follow Jesus Christ? Will you confess your sin? Will you repent of your wickedness? Will you turn aside from your self-absorption? Will you give your treasures to Jesus? Will you walk honestly before him as a disciple? 
Now, I know as I speak today that there are many of you in this congregation who have very specific sins that you're struggling with. And in your mind, you have made accommodation for those sins. You have said, I can do a little bit of this, and it's okay. I can have this attitude. I can handle it. I don't have to come face up, get clean, expose it all. Take my medicine and say, Jesus, I'm yours. How long will you play with that thing? Oh, how I remember as a child. I stole some candy from my mother. Boy, that pierced my conscience. I knew I was in trouble. But I did not have the courage to go to my mother and say, I stole the candy. Finally, she came to the boys and said, who stole the candy? Then I was in an Aiken situation. It was too late. Judgment was going to come upon my head. And I raised my hand and said, I stole it. Raymond, thank you for saying you stole it, but you know there's a punishment. And this is to help you never do it again. And out came the razor strap. What I'm trying to suggest to you today is that there's a place long before judgment comes to get clean with God. That when I began to have those prickings of conscience, when I began to have those convictions of sin, when I would lay down at night in my bed in my father's house, I knew I was a thief. In the morning when I got up, I knew I was a thief. Had I gone then to my mother or my father and told them that I could not live with this sin anymore in my heart, and that I confessed it freely and was prepared for any punishment they would choose to give me, I can tell you they would have taken me on their lap and hugged me in their arms and said, you have been punished enough by your guilty conscience. But because I held on to my sin and did not voluntarily step forward, the judgment of God fell on me. Now, it did cause me to not steal again because it was too painful a price. Today, do you have those kinds of sins in your heart? Have you turned aside from the living God of heaven? Have you been playing with sin in your heart? Are the things he's asked you to step into and you have refused to step in? Are there treasures that you are holding back in your own life, in your own arms, and you're saying, I'm not going to give that treasure to Jesus. I'm going to have it my way. Is this self-absorption an idol in your life? So that everything is based on what you feel and what you think and what you want. Are you willing to give that treasure away? And are you willing to follow Jesus? Mighty God, I plead today your mercy over us. Lord, not that we might be able to continue in our sin. Lord, but mercy that would wash and cleanse and break free. Mercy that would take the form of conviction and release us by the blood of Jesus. Oh, Lord God, I desire with all of my heart to follow you. I bring my treasures to your cross and lay them down. Mighty God. Would you rule over my heart? Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. you still